Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Well, today we're finishing our series, pulling this all together for the last four weeks. We've been talking about heaven coming to earth and trying to figure out just how God planned to make that happen. Of course, we know that that happened with Jesus coming to the earth, God sending his own son, the incarnate, to be, become a man and live among us and do signs and wonders and, and miraculous things. But he said, I'm leaving. And he said, but heaven is going to continue to come, and it's going to come through us. And God chose a way uh, to do this by sending his Holy Spirit. So we've been learning about this. We've been dipping into Scripture, digging in, really, and, uh, and finding out just stuff. So we're bringing it to all together today in a way that, that I want to encourage you. And I wish we had more time on a Sunday like this. I wish we could kind of devote really a, another whole hour so that we can really just not only just learn a few things, but we can kind of take time to just kind of pray and seek the heart of God. It's one of those kind of things that as a pastor you realize, you know, this is not so much about knowledge as it is about being open and taking that next step into what we call the spiritual life. And, but what we have decided and what we do typically here in the United States is we learn, we grow, we worship on Sundays, and then we go and we, we you know, we, we, we chew on the cud. We receive and take time to uh, think about what has been spoken. And so that won't be much of a, a difference today. And so, but I want to dig into this and, and, and then let you take away something. And I just encourage you to take some time this coming week to really just seek the heart of God and to really wait for the gift that God wants you to have. And so what does the baptism in the Holy Spirit do? We're going to talk about that today. We've been talking about, and it really, <laughs> you've probably noticed, I've talked all the way around it. I've talked all the way around it. I could have started with it, but I didn't. That's, that's not my style. I like to really just give evidence, give proof, talk about the honey, and then finally you say, tell me what jar you're taking this from. And I think that's really the best way to go about doing it, because I think sometimes people just feel like sometimes that the spiritual life can be a little spooky, a little overwhelming, and I think because of lack of experience, maybe some bad teaching, maybe some misunderstanding from Scripture, but our take on this is to just say, let's just let the Bible speak for itself and let it take us where we need to go, and I think that's where we are as a culture right now. It's either we move forward in the kingdom of God or we just fall into the, the crush of what is coming. And I, 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 I prefer to embrace Scripture. I, I prefer to embrace what I know is going to be my, eternal, my con, eternal condition and embracing the eternal truths that we see in the Word. <clears throat> so, of course, that means we need to dig into Scripture even more. So I want to talk about two gifts and two Sundays to start with. And then we're going to look at the evidence of, of Scripture. We're going to look at some examples from the Bible where people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important for us to look at that, and then we turn away, and, or, or we, we, come, we step back, really, and just say, okay, what does that mean for me? So two gifts and two Sundays. In John chapter 20, 19 through 23, a very theologically, biblically critical event takes place. And I'm going to read it and explain it. On the evening of that first day of the week, and it's interesting, it takes again place on a Sunday. We always wonder why Christians chose the first day a week to do almost all that they 
do as far as church? Well, this was one of the reasons. So many things took place on the Sunday. On the evening of the first week, when the disciples were together and the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. This is Jesus resurrected from the dead, and he's come to the disciples. And of course, they're completely in panic mode. They're afraid Jesus was brutally murdered in front of them. But now here he is, raised from the dead, and he shows them his hands where the holes are in, the, you know, in his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine being in that room? I mean, it's just unbelievable. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Once again, Jesus gets right to the heart of what he says this has all been about. He says, I'm going to send you guys. This is, you're going to be sent out because of what, what I've been doing. That was the purpose of me being here and ministering to you for three years. Verse 22, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive others, anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And why Jesus would say that is basically to point out and, and, and hasten back to a lot of his teachings regarding forgiveness and how powerful it is and how critically important it is. And one of the ways that we can really just shut down the flow of the work of God in our life is to walk in unforgiveness or to release it by walking in forgiveness. But we'll come back to that. So Jesus does something here that is a kind of scratch your head about. And so one of the questions has always been, well, do Christians have the Holy Spirit when they get saved? Absolutely. That's the only way we could be saved. The only way we can be redeemed is the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. So we've been really just talking about this and people going back about the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that. And so we, we you know, did, so the big question is, well, did, didn't the whole, the, the the church, didn't the believers already have the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost, which we're coming to? Absolutely they did. And here is where it happens. Jesus breathes on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. Most theologians believe that is the moment they are redeemed. That is the moment where the work of the cross becomes, the regenerative work is taking place. In the ministry, Jesus kept on saying over and over again, you are be clean because of who? Because of me. They were able to understand because of the presence of Christ. They were able to learn because of the presence of Christ. But now Jesus says, look, I've gone to heaven. I've done the work. I've presented the blood. The sacrifice has been done. Okay, guys, I'm getting ready to leave. And he breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is what regenerates. We can't, we can't be rege regenerated on our own. We don't save ourselves. We don't uh, sanctify ourselves. We don't do anything in that regard. We need the Holy Spirit. And so these guys are, in, are basically in just complete shutdown mode, and they can't move forward. They can't, they can't come into what God has created them to be and prepared them to be unless they have the Holy Spirit. And here we see it taking place. This is a wonderful gift. And it's important for us to see that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, that is exactly what takes place. I mean, we could use that imagery, which would help, and that Jesus breathes upon us and we receive the Holy Spirit. Our mind is regenerated. We now are in a place where we can hear the voice of God. We're reborn. Isn't that what, what they talk about, being born again? 
That all takes place the moment we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's a miracle, isn't it? You remember that day when you did that? I do. I'll never forget it. The angel didn't show up. The house didn't shake. I didn't sense any supernatural, you know, you know, uh, static in the air. But I did feel joy. I, I did feel a sense of complete release. I felt like I give up. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and, the, and the sense of joy that came from that, it was wonderful. And so what we like to call this is our first experience. This is, this is our born-again experience. But as good as that is, guess what? There's more. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. So that we can divide this, so we can see that there is a second experience that God wants us to have. Why would Jesus be talking about the Holy Spirit and a gift that was coming when they already received the Holy Spirit that had been breathed upon them? Now, either it didn't stick, or it, it is that Jesus said, look, I'm going to give you what? More. See, the word baptism is incredibly important. Incredibly important. Could have used any other word to describe what was getting ready to happen to these believers. Use any other word. Inundated, empowered, just, you know, and he could have used exosia, he could have used dunamis, he could have used any of those words, which of course was the meaning, but he used this word baptism. And the reason why is because everybody knew what baptism in water was. It was being immersed. It was being, it was a change it was a radical difference. You went down into the water, you came up completely changed, and you were what? Just soaked to the bone. And so Jesus chose this word to say, in a few days, don't leave Jerusalem, guys. And we've been talking about this, so I'm just summarizing. In a few days, you guys are going to receive more. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem. Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. He said, I'm sending you out, but I'm not sending you out without what you need. And that is power. That is presence. That is confidence. All that comes with that. I don't know if that's been your experience. Maybe it has been. And, and so I really want, I'm just kind of starting fresh here. That's what I've been doing all this month and, and beyond. It's just kind of saying, look, I'm not going to come from any religious tradition. You know, you, many of you know I'm a, I'm a hermeneutics teacher. I love, that's what I do. Exegesis is a passion of mine. And, and what I like to do is to say, let's, let's look at the evidence. Evidence, Dr. Brian, is, is critical in science, isn't it? And it's critical to what you do, is look at the evidence. What is happening? How did it happen? Let's, let's not talk about what people think. Let's talk about what we see. And so... I think this is pretty critical when, it, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think it's important that we talk about our interaction with the Holy Spirit. Robert Morris, a, a pastor down in, in Texas, and wrote a book. He said, The God I Never Knew is the name of this book. And he's talking about his own experience with the Holy Spirit. Here he had been a, here he'd been a Dallas theological graduate in the particular denominational uh, discipline that he had come from, and yet had no understanding after a master's level, an MDiv, in biblical training, studying every book of the Bible, 
from every angle that you can imagine, and yet did not have much understanding about the Holy Spirit. That's a little scary, to be honest with you, when it's such an important part of what Jesus wanted us to experience. So it makes me wonder sometimes, is the enemy out there trying to keep that from us? Oh, without doubt he is. And so you remember, you know, you can, you, if you can't keep it from people, you can certainly confuse people regarding its purpose. So we see Jesus breathing on them. They received the Holy Spirit for the first time from what we can, we can tell. But he talks about this other experience. And so what I want to talk, read here, I want to read it, and then we're going to look at its results. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, 17 through 21, I'm just going to take some segments on it. And you can read the whole section yourself. I've referred to it all throughout the series. But let's look at this. So they're waiting, 120 of them in an upper room. They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. He said, wait, don't leave the city yet. He said, go out into all the world, but wait, don't go yet. Wait until you receive the power that will enable you to be those witnesses, to do what I've called you to do. So they're like, okay, let's do what Jesus told us to do. They wait out, and they're waiting. And wait, we don't know exactly how long they waited, probably a week or two. Then it says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's another word that's thrown in on this. All up to this point, we've heard is pretty much just baptized, but look, filled. So that gives us a broader understanding of what is actually taking place. Baptism equals being filled. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as a spirit enabled them. So here they are. They're in the room, and t- little t- tongues of fire comes onto their hand. They're looking at each other. The room kind of shakes. And, and what, is, what else does it say? One of the other evidence was wind. Wind, a ruach of God. Didn't Jesus blow on them? Well, now God the Father is blowing on them, and it's coming through in a major wind. And they're in the f- tongues of fire on their head. They're looking at each other, and they begin to praise God. It's actually the spirit of Christ. It's a spirit of prophecy comes upon them. We've seen it throughout Scripture. They get so excited about what God is doing, and they're filled with the love, the purpose, the hope of God, and they can't stop but just open their mouth, and they begin to really prophesy. But they're prophesying in other languages. So they pour out onto the, the, what seemed to have been like a, um, like a deck or an opening area where it's overlooking the courtyard, where many Jews have been gathering, and they're, 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 they're not necessarily speaking to them, they're just praising God. And what we know is that these are languages that they do not know. They don't know what they're saying. To them, it's gibberish. Now, are they being forced to do it? Absolutely not. It's not what we would call auto-speech or forced speech. They're just so filled with the power of God, they begin to praise God, And they themselves, from what we can understand, don't even know what they're saying. They just know they're pretty excited about it. And then at that time, a miracle takes place. All those Jews that are from all the different nations of the world, they're seeing what's going on, and they hear them speaking in their own languages. Now, they're not saying, hey, look, you're lost. Take 3rd and 4th Street and take a right, you know, or Shlomo's, you know, subway shop, you go there. No, no, it, it, what they're saying is that God is awesome. 
from the creation of the world. This is what God has done. I mean, it, 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 is, it would have been awesome to record that. But they're praising God. They're giving glory to God. And these Jews, enough for them to just stop and say, it wasn't just what they were saying. It, I mean, it wasn't just how they were saying it or the language. It was what they were saying that stopped them and say, what is going on here? These people that we don't know are speaking in our language. And as far as we know, we're the only ones from this particular nation that are here today. But here they are speaking it fluently. So they're drawn. Their attention is, is focused. They're a ready audience. They close in on what's going What on earth is going on there? Now, apparently it becomes something of a, of, of a bit of a, a just, you know, they're all speaking at the same time. And they're able only, there's gibberish over here, but then they're able to focus and hear. Because, I mean, you've got many different languages, 20, 30 different languages going on at the same time. So in, for one person, I can hear somebody speaking my language, but the rest of it sounds gibberish. So it just sounds like chaos. To the point where they say, these guys are drunk. They're just drunk. Now, how anybody could get so drunk you actually speak in Latin or... French or something like that. I don't know. I don't think, I mean, what it tells me is that every language that they were listening to, either they didn't understand or didn't exist in their mind. We later find out Paul describes what glossolalia or speaking in tongues is in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. He tells us exactly what it is. The language of men and angels. Well, this is Paul weighing in on this. This is, in Paul, in Corinthians, this is you know, 30, 40 years later after the event, is saying, look, tongues, let me just tell you what they are. It's a supernatural work of God flowing through a human being to prophesy, but in another language, and not always here on this earth. That's pretty amazing. That just blows my mind. It's pretty cool. But it shouldn't blow my mind any more than watching somebody's arm come out that's all shriveled up and come out and, ah, you know. No. Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a guy who has been depressed for weeks. Who's been told he's going to be the leader, but he just can't bring himself to do it. Holy Spirit comes upon him, and everything changes. He steps to the forefront, and he says this. In the last days, I will pour out. He says, God says this. He says, I see what's going on here. I remember what the book of Joel says. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will what? Prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Because that's what they're doing, just in different languages. I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, what we're learning in hermeneutics right now is that this is a prophecy that has dual fulfillment. Part of it is happening now, right there in front of them. The other half of it is yet to come. So he's saying, this is what Joel was talking about, that the Spirit of God was going to be poured out on every single human being, no longer just 
the Pharisees, no longer just the one who walks into with wearing the, 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 the gown and the, and the, the, the sacred items and, 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 go, and then once a year in a day of atonement, no more of that would be only Moses going up to the top of the mountain and coming down with the glory on his face. No more. From now on, every single man, woman, and child would have the Holy Spirit. Put. He goes, this, what you are seeing, is what God told us would happen. And it's happening in, right in front of you. These Jews who know the scripture are looking at him going, this is wild. And he goes, you guys have been looking for your Messiah. He already came. He preaches the gospel. And it says 3,000 people came to Christ in one day. Now look, I've read the sermon. And I could go on a public space right now and read what Peter said, and I probably wouldn't see 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. Now, That's not taking away the scripture and the power of it. But there was more happening (laughs) with the reading of of that verse than what meets the eye. And I'll tell you what it was. It was the Holy Spirit that had filled Peter. That now he was able to be a witness. He was speaking just what he knew. He was quoting scripture. But that scripture was now being powered by the Holy Spirit inside a human being, and those words came out with such conviction and power that God was doing something so amazing through a human being who said, yes, Lord, send me. If if Peter had done that just the day before, it would have been stone him. If he had done it just the day before, they all would have just said, the man man is out of his mind, just ignore him. But on this day, (laughs) it's a totally different day. Because this man is filled with the Holy Spirit. So, this is an amazing event. <clears throat> and I write down here in the notes, here are some of the results. They spoke in tongues, and, and, and essentially they were prophesying because the people could understand what they were saying. They heard them speaking in their own languages. They, they, others thought they were drunk, oh, therefore, they must not have understood what they were saying. Of course, they didn't understand. Peter didn't know, you know, Turkish. He didn't know whatever these languages were didn't, all over from Asia Minor and around the horn of, 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 of the Mediterranean. Another result, again, Peter gains boldness. He preaches a sermon of his life. And verse 36 of Acts chapter 2 tells us the result. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And it was God who took that message and brought it home. My friends, this is what we need. This is what we need. We don't need, I mean, I I love the fact that, that, that what we have, we have lights, we have worship teams, we have all the wonderful things that we can enjoy, but how much more will that be on steroids, joking aside, if we have the Holy Spirit? And how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Well, we're getting to that. We're getting to that. It's a lot simpler than you think. Well, this begins to happen left and right. It's not the only time this happens. And we have other places in Scripture that tells us. I'm going to go through them quickly. In Acts chapter 8, uh, chapter eight, verses 14 through 19, we find out that now the Samaritans get baptized in the Holy Spirit, which, of course, to the Jews would have been a, a biggie because they were thinking, well, they're kind of half Jews, 
Jesus talked to them, I guess it was just purely out of mercy that he mentioned the Samaritans. But they go to a village in Samaria, and it says here, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, and they simply had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wow, this is telling us something. I mean, these people are saved, but they don't have the Holy Spirit not in the way that they had experienced it on that day. And they're saying, well, who can, I mean, who, who's going to stand back? And, and so then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, how do they know? Now, here is, one of, is the only place in Scripture where we find out that the Holy Spirit is taking place, but it's not told to us exactly what happened. And said they received the Holy Spirit. Well, we got to keep driving on to find out how they knew. Our only experience right now is Acts chapter 2. Result, the people that the Jews would normally not associate with are saved and filled. And Jesus had prepped them for this by reaching the Samaritan city where, when, where the woman at the well lived. So they were like, well, hey, Jesus spoke to them. Jesus ministered to them. Makes sense that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. No big deal until Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, what we find is while Peter was still speaking these words, he comes to the, to the Gentiles and he goes, look, I'm not even supposed to be talking to you guys. Holy Spirit moves upon him and says, Peter, we're going to take this to the next level. It's time for you to go to the Gentiles. He goes, Lord, no, 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 I can't go. They're unclean. You've taught us all of our life. For thousands of years, you've told us that the, the goyim or the Gentiles are unclean and we're not supposed to associate with them. We were supposed to kill them. We were supposed to, to avoid them. But he says, don't call unclean what I've made clean. The time has come where now Gentiles are going to be saved and they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter goes to Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile, Roman, centurion or, or tribune of some sort. And so Peter walks in, and he just starts to kind of half-heartedly start sharing the gospel with these people, going, I'm not even sure I'm supposed to even be here. But while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter. So in other words, you know, Jews of, of, of complete, being circumcised, circumcised meant that they were, um, you know, Jews in, in, in their full belief and followed the, the, the letter of the law. And they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For, now, how did they know? Look at verse 20, 46. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So the same thing happens. Acts chapter 2 is, is revisited on these people too. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. Whoa, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean they haven't even been baptized in water yet? No. Instantaneously, Peter shares the gospel with them. They accept Christ. They are so hungry, so ready to be connected with God that the Holy Spirit baptizes them without even laying hands. Nobody lays hands on anybody. And it kind of messes up your theology. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you need to be baptized in water first before you get baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, God says there is no plan here. If you're a hungry soul and your heart is open, and you want God to move in your life, he's ready to move in you. That's the message of this. 
Everybody in that room, those Gentiles, were so hungry and ready to receive from God. Peter just had to just start opening his mouth up and just said, Jesus was crucified. They're going, that's all I need to know. They're not confused about who the Messiah is. They're not confused about tradition. They're not confused about any of it. They just said, whoa, there was a Messiah? He died on a cross for everybody's sins? I believe. I'm in. And the Holy Spirit just comes down upon them. They start speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter's just going, well, my theology just got blown. First of all, they're not Jews. Second of all, we haven't even baptized them in water yet. What is going on? I'll tell you what's going on. God wants to bless his people. God wants to pour his spirit out upon people. Joel saw it. The day will come when every man, woman, and child will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they'll prophesy. And here they are. So you say, man, we've got to baptize these guys in water because Jesus told us we need to do that. It gets a little bit out of order, but who cares? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Oh, yeah, I imagine they'd have a few questions. Amazing. The world is being turned upside down. The church is being transformed overnight from just a Jewish experience to, whoa, this is going to everybody. That's why we're sitting here today. Then we shoot all the way to Acts chapter 19, 1 through 7. They come into a group of people who had heard of John's baptism. So they were repentant. They were hungry. A group of Jews. And Paul happens upon them. And he walks up, and these people are very excited. He said, man, we heard about you guys. And he goes, well, what did you hear? Well, we heard about John the Baptist baptizing people in, that, in, in this Jesus that was moving among you. He goes, so you guys have not heard about what he did on the cross, and you haven't heard about that you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They're going, oh, no, we, we didn't know about any of that. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. That was just getting you started. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they're baptized in water. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And what did they do? They spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 of those men. Once again, it's, it's happening. Luke records this for our benefit. He wants to show us that not only did it happen on the day of Pentecost, but it happened again and again and again wherever the gospel went. And I tell people, I said, look, don't get all tripped up on the details of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you know, people want to fight about, oh, okay, well, this is how you receive the Holy Spirit, or no, those gifts aren't for today. I just say, why would you want to do that? Why would any one of us want to strip our abilities to receive anything from God? Why would I want to come to someone's bedside who's been, you know, injured? Matter of fact, I've never found a single person who's ever been in a situation where they needed healing. It didn't matter what their background, Catholic, Baptist, fundamentalist, charismatic, Pentecostal, it wouldn't matter. If they were sitting in that situation, I looked at them and it said, sir, would you like me to pray for you to get healed? I have never seen anyone to say, well, no, no, because it's not for today. Not one. Anytime I've ever asked them, they would say, look, 
I need healing. I don't care what I heard. I don't care what I know. I just want to be touched by God. That's when we all just throw out our traditions out the door. And I find that interesting. So the result of this experience here, we see salvation from a belief in Jesus Christ. These men all come to Jesus when they put their faith in him. And then it opens the door. And it says that the Holy Spirit came on them. And they begin to speak in these other languages. And they prophesied. So what we find is that this, there's this reoccurring thing that takes place. Because the question is how, and I know what everybody's question is. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to get to that. And I'm going to finish with that today. Because, you know, what I'd really like to do, and we've talked about this as staff, and we were just saying, okay, how, how do we bring this thing together? How, how do I as a pastor say, you know, and prep people to say? But I'm going to make it very simple for us because I think it is a simple thing. I don't think it has to be done with pomp and circumstance. I don't think it has to be done... In, in great celebration and the clang of, you know, of, of music and all that. I don't think it has to be. My experience with the Holy Spirit was so simple. My brother shared Jesus Christ with him, and he, goes, and he just said, David, I asked the Holy Spirit to come and fill me. And he came. And I said, really? Cool. And that very night, I got down on my knees. Nobody was around. It was quiet. And I just got down on, on my knees. I said, Lord, I thank you that you died for my sins. I thank you that I, I have faith in you. I thank you that you're transforming my life. I'm still not quite delivered from drugs yet. I still haven't experienced a breakaway from my former life. I'm 17 years old, still in it, but inside me I'm going, oh, how am I going to do this? I can't change myself. When I got down on my knees on that night and I just said, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me? Would you come and fill me up? I had nothing to compare it to. I opened my mouth and I began to prophesy and praise God and joy filled my heart. And I actually began to speak in another language that I did not know. When I was done, I stood up and I said, I'm never going to be the same. And I went into school the next day. I'll never forget it. And I knew I was different. I knew I was different. I knew I would never be the same. I hung around with the guys. I went from being an undercover Christian to in your face. Not in a bad way, but just sitting next to a guy in history class. I'm so excited about what, how my life is transformed. I'm sitting there, Vicky. I don't remember what his name of it was my junior year history class. I looked over at Bruce Palmer, and I said, Bruce. You remember Bruce? <laughs> afro, red afro. Red afro. But anyway, I looked over at Bruce, and I said, Bruce, buddy, you need to get saved. I said, man, you're going to hell, dude. You are going to hell if you don't give your life to Jesus Christ. And he was just like, I mean, he was just blown away. I hung out with Bruce. I ended up leading Bruce to Christ. There were several other of those young men. And uh, it was insane in a good way. My life was transformed. I, there was things going on and, and through my life, my hunger for the word of God, my hunger and desire to smoke pot and to party with the buddies was gone instantaneously. Gone. This is in the late 70s, folks. Okay? That's a miracle. 
And I mean, I'm just walking away from this stuff, and my heart was filled with passion. And so people ask the question, how do you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Your life is being transformed. There is, there, because we're looking for evidence. And I'm going to talk about evidence. Because see, we get, I, I know people kind of freak out when they think about the tongues thing. I had nothing to compare it. No one had ever told me that tongues were weird. Or that tongues were spooky. Or that tongues were, well, Christians really don't, shouldn't be doing that. I didn't know. I just went away. I remember I had a pastor visit me a couple weeks later and say, I need to talk about those tongues. And I said, man, aren't they awesome? He's like, anyway. (laughs) Didn't didn't slow me down not one bit. What we find taking place in this story, if you keep reading in Acts chapter 19, is that out of those 12 men, great revival breaks out among the, the Ephesians. Pre-baptism, status quo. Post-baptism, all heaven breaks loose. It's there in Scripture. Jesus says, I want to give you power. What holds us back more, more often than not is an untransformed life. We are going through the motions, using the hand tools, trying to share a simple message of Jesus, but we don't have the power behind it. We don't have the Holy Spirit ready to, to be poured out on the hearts of people. Now, I know, I know what this means. I mean, I'm taking a risk as a pastor, really, in many ways, by coming to this point. By coming to this point. By saying, look, if Christians will get baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is what you should start seeing. Some of you may go out there and come back and say, I'm not seeing it. Don't give up. Don't give up. So great revival breaks out in, in Ephesus with many powerful signs and wonders. People begin turning away from evil practices. What is amazing about Ephesus is after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, great spiritual warfare begins to break out, which is another evidence of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fills you, there's immediate joy, there's immediate access to the the, the gifts of the Spirit, but what often will come right, 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 right after that is, buckle up, Spanky. Spiritual warfare is coming. Because Satan will tolerate Christians who do nothing. He can't keep you out of heaven. That's done. But he can sure shut you down and bear no fruit in this life, go through the religious motions, but the moment you say, I am filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm ready to do great damage to darkness, oh, he's going to take notice. And I noticed right after that, not only did I have great joy, all heaven broke loose in my home. I say, I'll say it. All hell broke loose in my home. I went into some of the greatest spiritual warfare of my life. And I might even have said, gosh, maybe I rethink this thing. But no way. Because I ended up leading my dad to Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine that? A 17-year-old hearing a knock on the door and your dad is standing there? David, tell me what I have to do. I mean, I'm just looking at him going, okay, this is really weird. The man that I respected and loved and grew up with, he was a a giant in my mind. But he had come to the end of himself because his his step, I mean, his his new wife had tried to commit suicide that afternoon. And I said, Dad, get down on your knees. It's time to come to Christ. 17 years old. 
I didn't even know what the Bible, half of it even said or meant. And I just said, and I prayed for him, and I laid my hands on him. And I asked at the same time, I said, now, Lord, now that he's come to you, I ask you to fill, you, fill him with your Holy Spirit. And he screamed out, and he yelled down to Joan, my stepmother, get up here. You got to get in on this. I've never told this part of the story. She ran upstairs. She got down on her knees too, and I led her to Christ as well. Neither of them were with us. My dad passed away a year and a half, almost two years ago. My stepmother the year before. But I'll see him again both in heaven because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Folks, I want to tell you something. The darkness on that day was so thick, was so tangible, it'll scare the living mess out of you. And I'm telling you, I would have run from it. In my own human strength, I would have just said, out of here, go live with my brother, go do something else. But on that day, God said, no, you will stand and you will face it. Vicki, it was on, I think it was Maple Street where we lived. Kind of a run-down place. But I'll never forget it. Heaven came down in that room that day. Because I cried out to God and said, Lord, I need heaven to come down in the middle of my circumstances. Folks, it breaks my heart to hear the stories that I hear. I know people, their lives are ravaged, and we've settled into this status quo thinking. Some of you that have grown up in poverty, some of you that have grown up in difficult situations, curse, generational curse after year after year after year, you don't have to stand for that crap. You don't have to. If you will about call out to your living God and call down for that power to come to not make you just status quo, but pull you up and out of that mire and place you in a high rock so that not only are you above it, but you can go and change it. Not only in your life, but others' lives. I mean, I could have just said, man, I'm good to go. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm speaking in tongues. I can prophesy, and I can move in the gifts. I can pray for kids to get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and, and ask God to heal them. I can do all that. But what, what I have been, I mean, it would have been absolutely insane and wrong for me to ignore my own home. I'm telling you, that is what happens when you ask the Holy Spirit to get involved. Status quo is broken up. The world changes. The ground shifts under your feet. Satan is on the run because heaven has come down. And that's what God wants to do. That's what he wants to do. My, my goodness in heaven. Jesus died on the cross for us to experience the greatness of all that he provided. Why would we ever limit him in any way? Why would we take away the glory of, of what that cross did by saying, it can't happen through me, or it's not for today, or in any way, shape, or form? Folks, we gotta, we got to throw off the fetters, man. If we want to experience the kind of transformative life. So how can you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, we're over time here. So I'm gonna, all I'm going to do, and I figured this would happen, is I've given you some steps. If you got the notes, if you don't have the notes, grab a set of notes and take these home. I have found, and this is my experience, that you're going to have a better experience with being baptized in the Holy Spirit if you do it in a private place where you've developed hunger. In other words, don't just do it flippantly. Don't just say, well, you know, you know, whatever. 
Yeah, let's get on the Holy Spirit. Woohoo! No, 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 no. You might need to take a few days. Fast, pray, seek the heart of God, confess sin. Let's go down through the notes. You're a believer. Make sure you're a believer in the Son of God and the Savior. You, you should renounce any known sin, renounce any involvement in the occult or non-Christian spiritual, spiritualism or any kind of secret organizations. It needs to be renounced. You don't pour gasoline on fire. Next, we need, we need to just simply ask. It's not a bad idea to just set aside some time to clear your heart and soul of distracting events and fast for a day or two to prepare and ask the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you and prepare you for the greater moving in your life, including experiencing gifts of the Spirit. And you can read through the rest of this. But Jesus tells us, he says, look, I believe I have this quoted somewhere, but you can find it. He says, if you ask God for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you a stone, a serpent. He's not going to give you a, a, he's not going to give you something that's going to hurt you. But if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he says, how much more will my father do that? Because we're his children. <coughs> Excuse me. He loves us. And he wants to make good on his promise so that we might be witnesses, that we might experience the power of God. Folks, we've come to this. Next week, I'm going to preach on something else. Your choice, your call. I put this now in your lap. We've looked at the evidence. We've looked at what the scripture, I've shared from my own life to show you in my experience. And I, I don't expect you to believe just on my experience alone. I've showed you scripture. Now it's your turn to ask. Let's stand up this morning. And you know, the neat thing about this is, is if you're still not comfortable, no problem. We love you. We're for you. Come on. Not going to be any shunning, no shutting down of things or people. But I got to tell you, you can keep using those hand tools. You can keep living in the status quo. You can still keep living under the bondage maybe even the generational curses. You can still live there and God love you and God still bless you. But if you want to break this stuff and you want to move and see heaven come down, it begins <laughs> and ends with you being indwelled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads this morning. Lord, I thank you for your gift. Jesus, when they looked at you, I can't imagine what their eyes. I mean, I would have done the same thing. Jesus, I would have looked at you and said, why are you leaving? Please don't leave. But then you looked at your disciples and you said, I'm not leaving. I will always be with you. That's why I'm sending the Holy Spirit, that he might indwell you and you will always feel my presence. That we'll be able to draw on that same power that raised Christ from the dead. It dwells in us. The resurrection power Lord, I think we just pay that lip service. But that's what we're talking. Taking things that are dead and bringing them back to life. Broken relationships. Broken bodies. Minds filled, Lord, with depression and bondage. Those things. Darkness stripped away. Lord, I pray over us this morning. Lord, I know that there are some, God, that are hungry right now. Lord, I pray we wait a little bit longer. 
Let that hunger develop. Let that aching of the Spirit go a little bit longer. So Holy Spirit, I pray in these coming days that, Lord, you would help us to take time to go on a walk, to kneel beside our bed, to take some time to just get our hearts right, to cast off those things that are holding us back, that have been bringing distraction. Lord, we've been living in the comfort at times, Lord, with the kind of bondages that have plagued us, that have kept us from being able to run, run with you. Not in, instead of just hobbling along. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would respond, that you would, not only would you be poured out on our lives, but Lord, we'd see the evidence, God. Lord, of, of new language, a new prayer language. As Paul teaches us, Lord, that, that language that edifies and builds up, that it's a spiritual language that, that goes right to the heart of the spiritual matter. Lord, praying in groans that cannot be uttered. Lord, that give us a, a way and a different vision of life around us. Lord, that when we speak the word of God, that we sense its power. We see hearts changing and transforming right, in, right before us, knowing it's not us. It's not our gift of convocation. It's not our ability to communicate. It's just simply a human being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking the words of God. Lead us. Teach us. Lord, we thank you for your love and your gift and all that you want to do us in these coming days and what it's going to mean to marriages, what it's going to mean, Lord, to our children, what it's going to mean, Lord, to every aspect of our life. I pray you'd help us, teach us, lead us now. In Jesus' name, amen.